morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. I also want to remind everybody, just in case you don't get a chance to call in, don't want to call in, think Thanks. something during the week. There you go. You can always visit the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. It's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that. It's Aldersan's Garage Company. Right. That'll get you there. There's... Several different databases you oh, can Oh, there search. is. And, you know, I've just done a whole bunch of updating and added a bunch of new features. For instance, on the vehicle questions, I just went in and added probably another 40 or 50 questions in the last couple of weeks. Right. Which puts us way over 300 on the number of total questions that are in there. Also, on your detailed topics, I've added a couple of new ones. There's one in there that I think is really interesting. It's called Failing State Inspection. And that's something that, even though it's been with us for some time, a lot of folks still really aren't up on what's going on with the state inspection in the five parish area okay and that is that if you have a check engine light on or a check engine light has come on and your car is 96 model or newer even though the light may go on and off even though the light's off you're still going to fail the inspection because the code is set in memory it's in history and you're going to have to fix that problem before you're going to get a inspection sticker what a lot of folks think is well i'll just disconnect the battery and clear it out well that's not going to cut it because they have what they call readiness tests and what readiness tests are are little tests that have to complete before you're going to get your sticker right and when you disconnect the battery you clear the readiness test now those readiness tests are not going to complete if there's a problem it's just going to fail and it's going to kick the light back on again. right they're also not going to pass under certain criteria exactly right it could take up to a week or more sometime to make all the readiness tests complete right so what you want to do is read that article it'll give you a lot more insight into it but if you get a check engine light you're just going to have to deal with it driving is not really a right it's a privilege Correct. and with privilege comes certain responsibilities one responsibility that the American public has agreed on is that we don't want polluted air. And right. to do that, we've got to have cars that run right. And so therefore, on and on and on it goes. And a lot of people I know say, well, it's big brother and all that. Well, be that as it may, you still got to talk it. to your legislators about that. <laughs> but the fact is, it is the law. You're going to have to comply with it. So be aware of it. And an awful lot of real good information explains how that process works, what you have to do when you do get a check engine light and on and on and on and on. So you don't get caught unaware bunch of other really good articles in there. One about our new sign, construction of the right. Agco sign. You got all the pictures up? It does. Got pictures showing every step of the construction of it. There's one on where Agco technicians come from. <laughs> it explains <laughs> the process we go through when we hire people. And a lot of people have access about that. Another really interesting one is on U.S. and foreign vehicles. You might want to just look at that. There's a list of cars. <laughs> you may be a little surprised at some of the stuff you find. Right www.agcoauto.com that's agcoauto.com real fun why don't you pop on there and look around and see what you think think you'll really enjoy it hey we're going to our phone lines we've got jack online good morning jack hey thanks for taking my call yes sir i've got a 2002 full-size chevrolet pickup truck 4.8 okay, mm-hmm. uh, v8 engine yeah. i'm losing coolant about once every two to three weeks okay coolant light low coolant comes yes, on uh-huh. i had about a cup or so mm-hmm it's fine. Nothing dripping. Two no. to three weeks. Yes, sir. What's a common problem with these? Very, very common on those, Jack, is the water pump gaskets between the engine block and the water pump itself. And what happens, it leaks at such a slow rate, and with the fan blowing on it, it generally evaporates the water. The heat of the engine and the fan blowing will evaporate the water, so you won't ever see it really dripping. 
Right. And depending on how many miles you got on it, you may want to consider replacing the water pump, although just the gaskets normally fix the problem. If you got more than 100,000 miles, you're paying the labor anyway. The water pump's already off. You might want to just change the pump, too, because they don't yeah. last forever. If right. you got low mileage on it, then you might just change the gaskets. But that is far and away the most common thing that we see with that. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but we see that very, very frequently. It's kind of hard to diagnose. What we have to do at the shop is actually put a fluorescent dye in the coolant, then pressure test it, and then come back with black light and special glasses where you can see the trail coming out. And right. once you get the pump off, you'll see it. But that's almost always what that problem is. Okay, I appreciate it. All righty. Thank you, Jack. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we would certainly love to have you. That's been a fairly common issue on those trucks. It I don't has. Know, I don't know if that gasket was just an inferior gasket. Well, they redesigned it from a paper gasket when they built that engine. Mm-hmm. They went from a paper gasket on the previous models right. to an, actually an O-ring gasket right. on those particular engines. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they leak. Well, you, can, you got an aluminum water pump against a cast iron block, so they're dissimilar metals. They expand right. at different rates. I guess they needed that O-ring type gasket. But an O-ring gasket depends on a very smooth surface on which to seal. Right. And, and with the type of machine, machine work we're work seeing today not, coming out of GM, that is not the case. Right. I mean, that machine work is so rough it's like rolling on a file and <laughs> it is that's the same problem they got with the intake gaskets right. in my opinion where they keep eating up the intake gaskets on all their engines let's go back to our phone line we've got gerald's been patiently holding good morning gerald oh good morning Lewis. how we going crazy i got a 99 s10 okay fuel pump went out on it okay you know, it, it was sitting out pulled in the convenience store mm-hmm. and i come back out i left it running it was sitting right there it couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere yes sir and come out and it was dead okay and, you know, every time you turn the uh, switch on, you can hear the fuel pump running. Okay. It tried to run a little bit, and it coughed, and it sputtered, you know, anyway, it had to get dragged to the house. Okay. Uh, I went ahead, and I pulled the old fuel pump out, mm-hmm. pulled the bed back, bench tested it. It didn't want to run. Shook all the gas out of it, of course. Right. I didn't want to fire. But anyway, I bench tested it, and it wouldn't run. I bumped it around my hands a little bit and done it again. Mm-hmm. And it ran, but it, it whined real hard. And okay. It, right. it ran down. Well, without any gas in it, it's going to make a heck of a whine. It's right. got to be pumping. The fuel actually lubricates it and cools it. So I understand. It's going to be pretty loud like that. Yeah. Well, you know, it wouldn't run anyway. You know, mm-hmm. it, it started up, so you got to knock it around a little yes, bit. Sir. But anyway, I got another one. Mm-hmm. The thing about it is, I'm not getting a signal back here to this thing. Yes, sir. Right. That's probably the original problem, Gerald, is you lost the signal. Now, the pump may have been on its last legs. And, well, and going bad. Yeah, well, you didn't hurt nothing changing the pump because that generally what causes the other problem. The pump's drawing too much amperage through it. But there's a number of things that you would have to check. You're going to have to get a volt-ohm meter, and you're going to have to get a wiring diagram. There's a number of things that can interrupt the signal. Starting with the fuel pump relay is the most common thing, but it goes all the way into the PCM, actually commands that to ground. That's normally out of the realm of most do-it-yourselfers to be able to test because you're going to be into a 5-volt reference signal and you're going to need a digital lab scope and all that kind of stuff to, to even test for it. You might check the relay. I'm sure you've probably already done that. Check the wiring because they're also bad about the wiring harnesses. The little connectors in them will burn up like the ground will burn, and it's real hard to see unless you pull it apart and take a magnifying glass and check it. But they'll get hot, and the little terminals will expand, and it just won't make contact that what are you, you talking about that there? usually happens inside the fuel tank when you take the assembly out the tank if right. you'll turn it upside down and look there's a plug right there mm-hmm. where the fuel pump plugs in the top center unit sending unit you can unplug that and you can look inside those terminals and you can usually see it it's going one of those terminals is going to be real black mm-hmm. 
when they, when yeah, they the lose the, the connection. About. Yeah, well, the new one probably didn't come with that. Right. Just come with the pump. It, it came didn't with come the pump. with the sending unit. Right. Unless you change the entire sending unit and everything. Well, it came with a unit, man. It's one of the tower-looking outfit. Okay. Okay. If did. that's the case, then it's going to have another connector up Other on top up of the part that's in the wiring harness. Look at that part. And there may even be another connector about, what, a foot and a half, two feet up the line? I believe so. Something like that. So check all your connections good because burnt connections are pretty common on those vehicles, particularly if the old pump was going bad and drawing too much amperage. Yeah, well, I pulled the fuel filter off of it, too, you know, along with all this. And, yeah, well, and, uh, you always change the filter right. when you change the pump. Right. Uh, now, two, don't overlook the possibility that the pump you got, you know, that's not necessarily a non-good pump. You could have a well, bad I, pump. I tested it, too. I run some wires back here to it. Now, I kind of suck. I wasn't getting no, uh, no signal or mm-hmm. anything, you know, so and I it'll went run. ahead and uh, sort of uh, hardwired it, so to speak, you yes. know, and run me a hose off the, uh, the outlet. Uh-huh, it pumps. Yeah, it shoots gas out all over the place. Okay, yeah, but if, okay. if you, it's running just fine, but I'm just not getting a signal back here. Right. And well, I pulled this thing here up under the hood, you know, where all these relays and yes, things mm-hmm. And I pulled it apart looking for burner stuff and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Well, if you don't have a bad connection and you don't have a bad relay, your best bet's going to be to tow it to somebody who knows what they're doing because from there, it's going to get real complex. I mean, I you're you. not going to solve that problem. Because it could be loss of command from the PCM. It could be an input to the PCM shutting down the command. It could be a bad driver in the PCM. There's just so many other things that there's just no way to check. If the vehicle has theft deterrent, which almost all of them do, the theft deterrent system could be shutting down fuel pump feed. There's just on and on and on and on. It's just out of the realm of the average do-it-yourselfer to be able to even check that stuff. Yeah. All righty. Okay, man. I appreciate it. All right, Gerald. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. And we've got Bobby on the line. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, Lewis, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Got a question, two questions. Got a 2005 Honda Odyssey, and it's got an oil life indicator that's supposed to tell you when to change the oil. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So my first question is, and I'm not going to tell you which one I've been doing, because mm-hmm. it might be wrong. <laughs> but anyway, should I just change it on what I think the service ought to be, like 3,000 miles, or should I wait till that? Well, uh, let me ask you, Bobby, how much money you got? You real rich guy? Uh, I'm filthy rich, but I don't have any to spare. <laughs> <laughs> then change it every 3,000 miles. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a whole that? lot cheaper. Yeah, what is that, Lewis, what does that thing even work on, or is it a gimmick or what? They have all sorts of criteria, and they have gotten better over the years, but they still primarily are looking at mileage and time. Some of them will take into account engine load and stuff, but in my opinion, they're just predicated on way too high of a change interval. There's just absolutely no advantage to going that long on all changes. It just costs you too much money. What happens, see, we see people now, because this stuff's been out for five or six years, and we get cars in now that are leaking everywhere they can leak. The rear seal's leaking, the front seal's leaking, the valve cover's are leaking, the distributor O-ring's leaking. They're spending thousands of dollars in repair because all the seals have gotten hard and the engine's all sludged up because they've been changing all over 7,000 miles like the indicator told them. Okay. you got to remember, right. the guy who programmed that indicator's in the business of selling you a new car. That's true. So, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. You know, me personally, I can't afford it. I work too hard for money. i got to change them all at 3,000 miles. I can't afford the alternative. Okay. All right. Just calls well, too I much. really appreciate the advice, and the show's great. Listen to it every time, and you also people ought to know you got a land yap course coming up. They ought to get in that too. Yep. There you go, Bobby. Take care. Thanks, sir. Bye bye. All right, we're gonna take a quick little break. Lucy and Roy, hang on. You guys be straight up after the break. If you ever plan to motor west, travel my way, take the highway. That's the best. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. 
Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldazat with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Roy's been patiently holding. Good morning, Roy. Hey, good morning, Lewis. How are you? Doing great, sir. Uh, what I got here, I got a 2002 F-150 4.6-liter engine. Okay, sir. And I'm getting a couple of codes. I put the scanner on, and the mm-hmm. truck was you know, kind of stumbling around. Yes, sir. I got a 0-3-16 misfire to take the first one. General misfire, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And a three zero two code cylinder. Misfire number two, yes sir. Yes sir. What you want to do on that thing, Roy? First off, it's pretty easy when you've got the misfire located to a specific cylinder. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to find because what you can do, since all the cylinders have the same components in it, you can just swap components. In other words, take the ignition coil off of cylinder number two, yeah, and move it over to number three, and okay. then run it and see if the misfire moves to number three. And if it mm-hmm. does, replace the call. If okay. it does not, then take the plug out of number two and move it to number three. And so on and so forth. And okay. whenever you move a component and it misfire moves, then that's going to be your problem. That's the easy way for you to do it without any additional equipment. Okay. Those ignition calls on that vehicle are extremely common to go out. We've also had a... Yes, sir. The ignition calls, they go out a lot. Not real expensive. It's going to be a DG508 motorcraft call. They're fairly easy to change, and they are relatively inexpensive. I can tell you, if one's bad, over the years, you could probably end up changing every one of them, but I don't know that I just change them all right now. I just wait until another one goes out. But they tend to all start failing around 80,000, 90,000 miles, and by the time you get 150 on it, you're going to be able to change every one of them. Yeah, I changed every one of them about five months ago. Everyone except this. Except that one. And one up in the back. That one in the back, yeah. Yeah. That's most common now. We do also see some fuel injectors failing on those, and you can actually do the same thing with that depending on how handy you are. If you pull a fuel rail, you can take the injector out of that cylinder and move Mm -hmm. it to another cylinder. Without a lab scope and a whole bunch of other equipment, that's just something a do-it-yourselfer can do as long as he knows which cylinder is missing. He can just move the components from one to another and see when the misfire moves. Okay. All right. One other thing. Okay. Now, I was changing my transmission uh, fluid. Okay. And I'm going to change the screen, too. Yes, sir. And I dropped the pan, mm-hmm. and in the in that pan, there's a, there's a little plastic doohickey. I don't know what yes, you call sir. it. Right. That's a little but plug that when they get- ship the transmission, it plugs up the hole where the dipstick tube goes in. When they push the tube in, it just knocks it in the pan. It doesn't hurt anything. Just take it out and throw it away. Oh, okay. That's normal. That's all it is. That would be the first change on that transmission. Yeah, it means it's never been changed before. Right. That's okay. just a shipping plug. And be sure you okay. get be sure you get Mercon Five transmission fluid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we bought a transmission book and everything. Couldn't find the part. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to have to add that into my website. Right. That's a new one I, I, I forgot to add to that. But, yeah, that's all it is. Okay. Okay? I'm going to do what you say, man. Thanks a lot. All right, Ron. All right, Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, friend, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Lucy online. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. I have a 98 Dodge Caravan. Uh-huh. And you can be going down the road, and all of a sudden, all the gauges just go dead. Yeah, that's pretty common on that vehicle. It is? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Then does that mean it's pretty easy to get it fixed? <laughs> it depends on what the cause is. There's a number of things that can cause that. They've just had a lot of electrical issues with it. We fix a lot of them by actually repairing the instrument panel cluster. The mm-hmm. solder joints on the back side of the instrument panel cluster tend to be brittle, and they crack. Now, if you go to say a Chrysler deal, he's going to tell you you need a new instrument cluster, which is about a thousand bucks. What we generally do is pull the cluster out, re-solder the joints. And a lot of times that does fix it. And of course, total cost is about 150 bucks. So you kind of decide which one you want to do. There are some other ones that can cause that also. A connection between the instrument panel cluster and the body module. There's also a connection at, is that more? just depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a connection at the battery that causes that problem. That's going to get progressively worse, and at some point, the vehicle's going to start dying on you. Mm. So it's something okay. you want to go ahead and attend to. It doesn't do it pretty often, Lucy. Well, it hadn't been, but it has been Getting lately. more frequent. What's going to happen? It'll get more and more frequent, and then the vehicle will start dying on you. Okay, now, you do this? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I can do anything on that. I can just drive in there and Well, the best it? is call Lane and set up an appointment because I know they're already pretty stacked up for next week. I may not be able to get to it, but just call Elaine Monday morning, mm-hmm. and she can tell you exactly what time we have available. I would check for that first just because that's the least expensive thing and, and pretty common. If that's not it, I mean, I can find the problem, but some things the fix is worse than the problem, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, if it's going to be a real expensive thing, you might want to just wait until it gets worse. Yeah. You don't want to put it off if it's something that can be fixed fairly easy. Or be stranded somewhere. Exactly. Okay, then I'll call this number I just called. No, ma'am. It's uh, 291-6900. All right. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And we got Jimmy on the line. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Sure, like that music. Uh, there you that's, go. <laughs> that's one of the best parts of the show. Right? There you go. I love that music. I'm sorting through the specs on you, a Chevrolet and GMC half ton. Yes, sir. And on some of your packages, they say you got to go with a six speed transmission. And yes, sir. Others say uh, requires four speed. Okay. And there's six speed. What's the story on that, or have y'all had any experience with it? hasn't been out long enough to really have a good track history on it, Jimmy. I can tell you it's probably not any better than the 4L60. It's going to have a lot more moving parts, so my thought is it's going to probably be the cash cow of the next decade for the transmission shops. But if I could get a four-speed, I would probably go with that just because the 4L60E has been out quite a while. It's not a great transmission, but it's fairly inexpensive to fix and I have that now. hasn't had a really bad history as long as you service them and don't abuse them i think they call it a 6l60 or 6l40 that's the one it takes the uh, it takes dextron six. six yeah right. it's just a six-speed transmission when you crowd two more gears in there you add a lot more moving parts a lot more stuff to break and in my opinion it's just not really going to make enough difference for the cost involved what they're trying to do is keep the engine rpm within a very narrow range to try to improve fuel mileage and you might pick up one mile to the gallon, which is going to mount to about 10 bucks a year, and you got a $6,000 transmission doing it. 
Right. Well, the, I'm trying to get a package where you have your turn indicators built into your side view mirrors. Uh-huh. And, man, it's a pain. Uh, you got to take this whether you want or not. Yeah. And plus that dual zone air conditioning. I'm trying to stay away from that as well. Well, that's, again, I mean, it's kind of cool to tell everybody, look what my car does. But, man, you're talking big bucks when that stuff breaks. That's what I've heard. I heard it was bad news. Oh, yeah. Okay. You told me exactly what I need to know. All right, Mr. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one more quick little break. Don and Robert, hang up. You guys be straight about the break. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work. A new AC and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it cost you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you just go ahead and give us a call? And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Robert's been patiently holding. Good morning, Robert. How you doing? Doing great, doing sir. Great. I had a follow-up question. I tuned in right when you were talking to, I think the lady was talking about the cluster that yes, uh, mm-hmm. didn't work. And you said eventually that the car would start dying. Yes, sir. Um, I'm at that point. Okay. Oh, all right. And, Robert, I wouldn't necessarily assume that that is the problem. Are your gauges kind of going weird sometimes? Uh, they did that for a while, then they went out. Okay. They brought it in and had it looked at. The guy said that the gauge had to be, the cluster had to be replaced. Yes, sir. And mm-hmm. it was going to cost. I don't know, about $900. Yeah, it's about right. 1000 bucks. You know, a lot of times, Robert, we're able to repair those clusters. Not always. Sometimes they're just too bad to be fixed. But what we do is we pull the cluster out. We resolder all the connections on the back of it. Right. And a lot of times that does fix that problem. We just have to see your particular car because there are some other things that can also make them die. And just right. how often does it do it, uh, Robert? Uh, it just started doing it about mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and it'll do it periodically. It's, it's uh, I guess if you drive it, it's more of a time-related thing than it is mileage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll go maybe 30, 40, 45 minutes. Sometimes it'll just stop. And if you leave it there and you let it sit for Yeah, they cool uh, down. Yeah, it'll start right back up. I would probably bring it in, let us have a look at it, and see if we can't get that fixed for you. If it's a matter of resorting those connections that's not too big of a deal relative to the problem that you got sooner or later the theft deterrent system is in the instrument panel cluster so it's also the server for the rest of the system so you can start losing communication with your other computers that's when they start dying oh okay so it so would, you think it's gonna have to have the whole computer brain? well a lot of times we can fix them Okay. You know, if we can fix yours, you, you're down probably less than 200 bucks. So okay. if, if it has to have something replaced, then, yeah, you're going to be up in the higher dollars. But it could also be that you got two different problems. Yeah. It's not necessarily one problem. It's kind of hard to say, but lots of things can make cars die. If it's doing it on a fairly regular basis, then I would certainly get it in, have that checked, and see, because you don't want to get stranded somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'll have it in there. I'll okay. It in there probably Monday. All right, Mr. Robert. Bye. Thank you. 
Fife, if you want to report the automotive hour. And we've got Don online. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Lewis. I certainly enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. I have a 93 Cutlass with yes, a 3.1 engine in it, mm-hmm. and the low coolant light is on. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's not low. Can you, is, where is that sensor? It's in the radiator, Don. That one in the radiator or the reservoir? Well, I don't let me tell good. you wrong. On a 93, it could be in the reservoir. On the newer ones, it's in the radiator. Right. On the right-hand Passenger. side, under the hose at Passenger the top. Side. That one may be in the coolant reservoir. If you want to send me an email when I get home, I'll look it up and service that and tell you for certain. But you can just look at the coolant reservoir and see if there's a little thing with two wires going into the side of it. Okay. If there's not, then it's going to be in the radiator, kind of below the hose on the right-hand side. And those little sensors look real bad about going out. On the top hose under the right-hand side? Yes, sir. Okay, Lewis. All righty. I certainly thank you. Okay, Don, thank you. Bye-bye. We've got Rick on the line. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. How are you doing, Lewis? Doing great, sir. I have a 2003 Ford Expedition, Uh and about two or three months ago, started having a difficult time starting the car after the engine warmed. Okay. Had 95,000 miles, mm-hmm. went ahead and did some routine maintenance, changing out the spark plugs, yes, fuel filters, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. The car continuously has that yes, sir. Uh, hard start when the engine is warm. And yes, sir. That's like, you know, as you run it for a while, it gets hot, you turn it off, and it doesn't want to start again? It Right. It's yeah. very difficult. Cranks to, but won't start? Right. It, 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 what happens, you have to push on the accelerator, and right. it takes a little time to start. And I was told that it could be the idle adjustment. No. <laughs> no. Might it, be the problem. No. If, if it's IEC, what it would do is it would start and die, start and die. I got you. No, that is what they call a hard start after a hot soak. Okay. And there's a number of things that can cause it. Most of them relate to the fuel system. That has a kind of a involved fuel pump set up on it in that it's got a sensor on the fuel rail that senses fuel pressure and it's got a module in the back that slows the pump down and speeds it up to control fuel pressure which is unique to Ford. What happens on that thing if the fuel pressure drops off for some reason there's the pump is way in the back inside the tank the injectors are up on the motor so when you turn it off it has to hold pressure on that rail if the pressure bleeds back through the pump then when you go to start it has no pressure at the injector so it can't start until it builds pressure all the way back up to the front which takes a bunch of cranking the way we fix that in the shop rick we put a fuel pressure gauge on it turn it off and see what's happening if the pressure is indeed dropping off then we have to go and see if we're getting a command to the pump or not if we are getting command to the pump then we have to do a few more tests to isolate whether the pump is bad if you're not getting a command to the pump then it's something in the regulating module or in the regulator itself but it's almost always going to be a fuel pressure type issue on that particular problem now there are a few other things that can cause it but that's just the most common okay okay so it's going to be quite involved in testing to It's going to take someone who absolutely knows what they're doing. The most expensive thing you can do in this world is to go start throwing parts at it. Yeah, because you run out of money way before you run out of things that could be. What you have to do is give it to someone. We do a lot of that at Agco. And if you've got a man who knows what he's doing, he's got the proper equipment, if it occurs pretty regular, he should be able to find that in probably an hour or less. Okay. The key is if it occurs fairly frequently, because it's going to need to occur in the shop. In order right. to find it. If it won't occur, then you can test forever. If it tests good, it's just, you know, it's not going to show you anything. Yeah. So it occurs pretty regular almost every yeah. time. Yes. I would say an hour or so diagnostic time, they're going to tell you what that would take. I can't see it going much over an hour if it does it pretty regular. Sometimes it takes less time. Right, right. Okay. The cheapest well, money you ever spent. Right. I'm going to set up an appointment. Okay. Yep. 
Appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. sir. Bye-bye. We got Valerie online. Good morning, Valerie. Uh, yes, Lewis. I listen to your show every week. Well, I really you. enjoy it. Thank you. You help, help us so much. I have two questions okay. today. Sure. One is we have a 96 Buick Roadmaster, mm-hmm. and it was heating up on us last week. Okay. Went to our mechanic that I go to to uh-huh. have my oil changed. Yes, ma'am. He said perhaps it needs to be flushed out under pressure and to, that they have the equipment to do that. I'd be very leery of that, Valerie. Let me ask you, when does it overheat? Does it overheat when you're driving it or does it overheat when it's sitting still like at idle? When I was driving it. I could smell the... Uh, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, flushes, the word flush is just... When you hear the word flush, add the word wallet in front of it. Yeah, that's what I've heard you say that okay. before. The car was not overheating prior to the problem starting, so something has changed. Uh-huh. Now, the key is you need to go in and find out what's wrong. Most of the time, when you have overheating, you've got a leak somewhere in the system. Uh-huh. And what's happened is either the coolant is leaking out or it's losing pressure, and that's why it's starting to overheat. At least uh-huh. that's the root cause of the problem. So you have to go in and check and find out why it's doing that. Going in and just flushing it out, all that's going to do is remove whatever corrosion and stuff is holding it together and make it probably leak worse. Not going to fix the problem. I see. Now, if the radiator's plugged up, flushing can't help it. The only way to fix that would be to replace the radiator, but that's probably not the case. More likely, you've got a leak somewhere, you're low on coolant. If not, it could be the thermostat is bad, stuck shut or stuck partially shut. There's lots and lots of things that can cause that problem. The key is you have to get a proper diagnosis and then fix the problem. See, overheating is not the problem. That's the symptom of the problem. Mm -hmm. And if you treat the symptom, you're not going to go anywhere. It'd be kind of like if you had measles and the doctors gave you some ointment for the little red spots. The little red spots aren't the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. You have to treat the disease. And the same thing with this. You have to find what is the cause of the problem. And you need to act pretty quickly on that, Valerie, because cooling system problems have a tendency to really explode. They get very, very serious very quick. For instance, if you got a leak and it starts to suck air into the system, that air will act like a catalyst, which will cause a lot of corrosion, which will make a whole lot more problems. So what you need to do is get that to someone else, have them look at it, and actually get a clear diagnosis of what's going on. I would assume if it's overheating going down the road, more likely causes would be something like a thermostat that is partially restricted, particularly if it hasn't ever been changed or hadn't been changed in a long time. Something like possibly a radiator that is partially restricted, it's not flowing enough coolant. It could even be a hose that is collapsing under suction from the water pump, or it could just be the coolant is low because it's got a leak somewhere and it's then, got air in the system. Being you, you can smell the coolant, yeah, you more got than likely leak. you've got a leak somewhere. That's what it sounds well, like. Uh, you know, I've used it since then just to go, you know, mm-hmm. a few miles into town yes, or whatever, ma'am. but and, and it hasn't heated up. So it's, well, it's you may like, just not have driven it far enough. You right. see, sometimes right. you have to drive it a ways uh-huh. for it to occur. But yeah, I need to get that checked real soon and get it fixed. Well, Properly, because well, how do you don't, I know I'll go to the right person? Why don't you go to my website and click on the little icon that says Finding a Great Shop. Okay. And that will give you a whole article just on finding a good shop. Okay. All righty. And wait, the okay. other, in a moment, if you could give me advice as to a, a good quality SUV, small one, new one. Valerie, just about all of them have the propensity to be good as long as you take care of them. And none of them are going to hold up worth a hoot if you don't take care of them. And when I mean take care of them, I mean following the maintenance schedule 
as prescribed by the manufacturer at a very least. Uh-huh. Again, if you go to our website, go down to All About Maintenance and read that article. It'll tell you how to take care of them. And if you do that, most all of them are going to hold up. Now, my personal preference is a Toyota product. It's just an excellent product. You're going to pay a little bit more for it when you buy it. But when you ever get ready to sell it, you're going to get your money back because they have a huge resale value. Okay. That is by far and away, in my opinion, the best vehicle on the market today. Okay. By a wide margin. The Chevrolet, Ford, those aren't horrible. They aren't great, but they aren't really horrible. The only ones I would stay away from are the real discount brands, and I'm not going to mention names on the air, but you know which ones I'm talking about. Uh Those are generally built to a real low standard to try to give a lot of features at a low price, and they're okay for four or five years, and then they just fall apart. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. We have got Dustin on the line. Good morning, Dustin. Hey, I got a 06 Titan. Okay. And about every 25,000 miles or so, the brake rotors warp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do do a lot of hauling and light towing. Yes, sir. I drive it pretty hard. Dustin, but- they've had trouble with that on that vehicle. There's a couple service bulletins out for that problem. What happens is that they got rid of asbestos and pads several years ago, and they've tried a bunch of different materials since, and most of them have some type of metallic or ceramic pad. What happens is that a ceramic or metallic pad has to be hot in order to stop. They don't stop very well when they're cold. So they downsize the rotors and all to build heat in them quicker to make them stop better. The problem is when you start hauling stuff and all that, or if you're a little aggressive on braking, they get real hot and it warps those cast iron rotors. I can tell you some things that you can do to fix the problem you're going to have to go in and replace the rotors. Turning them will not do it. Turning will make it go away for about three or four months and then come back worse than it was before. Right. Well, I'm, on, I'm on probably my fourth set of rotors. Yeah. There is a late model pad that Nissan's come out with is supposed to help with that. Disc brakes or drum brakes on the back? Uh, disc. Okay, it's four-wheel disc. You want to make sure the rear brakes are doing their fair share of stopping. Sometimes what will happen, you'll look at the fronts, they keep wearing out, and the rears are not wearing. If they're not wearing, they're not working because they should be wearing out the same as the front are if they're working. So if the rears are not doing their fair share of work, then that can cause it, and that gets into several different issues. If the rears are working properly, if you just take it easy on it as far as braking, you can minimize that problem. Another thing, if you ever have to drive through high water, and what I call high water, what most people call high water, is two different things. That rotor is close to 500 degrees, and it's a piece of cast iron. If you go through water three or four inches deep, it's going to throw all that cold water on that hot rotor, and it's going to warp. So if you find yourself having to drive through water like that, just lightly keep your foot on the brake and accelerate. I mean, don't get down on it, but just lightly, just to kind of keep the heat up in it, and that tends to help quite a bit. So between making sure all the brakes are stopped and putting the latest model pads on, driving habit and avoiding water, you can generally get that down to an absolute minimum, at least get it down to where you're only changing rotors every four or five years there was some service bulletins out there are brakes need to check and that one i think may even have a revised caliper bracket on it i'd have to check the service data see nissan has had tons and tons nissan infinity both have tons of problems with brake shutter i know on the the qx56 infinity i think so there's a bulletin that's about 20 pages long on on problems they've had well do they make any aftermarket rotors like the oversized like no it's you know the aftermarket stuff's not a darn bit better the problem is not the rotor the rotor's a symptom not the problem it's a piece of cast iron and cast iron is going to get hot and if it gets cold real fast it's going to the bracket on the infinity is the bracket that attaches a caliper to the knuckle apparently was undersized or something it would move which allowed them to warp worse so 
the first thing to do, Dustin, is check all the technical service bulletins on or have whoever's working on it check all those service bulletins. Make sure everything is working right. If everything's working right, put the latest model pads on from Nissan. And then after that, it's just going to be a matter of driving habit and, and kind of trying to watch it as best you can to minimize the problem. Okay. But it's just a known issue with those vehicles. All right. Thank All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And we're going right back to the line with Gary. Good morning, Gary. How you doing? Doing great, sir. This is not only a major thing, but it's something that's just kind of bothering me about my vehicle. I have a 2004 Toyota Sequoia. Okay. And I recently put a new battery in it. Mm-hmm. And my the thing is, my radio is going berserk. I get some FM stations pretty strong. Uh-huh. Others are static. And my AM station, like my sports channel, can't get them at all. Did that so, start right after you changed the battery? Did it start? It started right after you changed the battery? It actually started before. Okay. Before. okay. That's I almost... a radio thing or it's a... Well, it's almost always an antenna thing. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. When you can't get AM and you can get most of your FM, that's generally going to be an antenna problem. Okay. Now... You might check the connectors, make sure they're all connected properly. Now, I got to have connectors. One of the connectors on the positive side is kind of worn. Yeah, so but see, it's not going to be a battery problem. Yeah, but I'm still getting all my power from a battery and everything else is fine. Right, yeah, it's radio. not going to be a battery problem. Radio takes such a small amount of power to run that any right. voltage at all is going to run it. That's going right. to be something with the antenna. You see, AM kind of gives it away because AM is on a much lower frequency than FM. It needs much more antenna. So any right. kind of an antenna issue is always going to show up on AM first. Okay, so I just need to replace that antenna, you think? Well, probably not. It's more likely going to be a connection or a wire, more so check, than the antenna itself. Uh, check, where the, the check where the antenna is plugged in the back of the radio. Right. And there may be another connection between the radio and the antenna itself. Right. And a little bit of corrosion in that connection will do that. mess it up. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to what, pull the radio out? You do. Or? Right. You do. Okay. okay. All righty. All right, thank you. Okay, All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break. Wayne and Kevin, you guys will be straight up after the break. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan from Agco Automotive. Also, Mr. Brian Terry, lead tech from Agco. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Just in case you don't get your question answered today, 
Some occurs to you during the week. That's right. Visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. It's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that's a great A company. great company. That's right. There you go. Ameri- <laughs> America's Garage Company. Alpazan's Garage Company. All kinds of ways to remember it. Why don't you pop on there and look around? I think you'll see an awful lot of stuff you enjoy. A lot of good, a lot good of information, information on cars. And there's nothing in there for sale. Not like a bunch of pop-ups or not going to try to send you a bunch of junk you don't want. But boy, there is just a ton of information in there. That there is. You can look around for hours and hours if you care to got some fun game can play automotive related and still got t-shirts oh yeah win a free agco t-shirt and all kinds all of right. other stuff pop on there and see what you think www.agcoauto.com agcoauto.com think you'll like it and we're going to lines with kevin good morning kevin hey guys how's it going doing great good. sir Hey, I had called y'all, I guess, uh, September of last year. Okay. I got my wife drives a 03 Chevy Suburban. Okay. When we turn, it seems like the compressor on for the air conditioner, it makes a horrible noise. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's com- kind of common on those. Okay. And, and y'all told me what was wrong with it. And, you know, at the time, I didn't write it down, but I want to now. So. Yeah, it, it's going to get progressively worse. It's going to tear the compressor off the engine if it hadn't done it already. You're more likely going to end up probably replacing the whole compressor now. Right. But what happens is that liquid is being returned to the compressor for any one of a number of different reasons that all have to do with the design of the truck. And when that liquid hits the compressor, it cannot compress. So what it does, it temporarily locks the compressor up, and what you hear is the bell squealing. It generally okay. tears up the belt and tears up the little tensioner on the belt and tears up the compressor pretty fast. So what you have to do is just get in and figure out why it's doing that. And like I said, there's any number of reasons why they do that. There's a pretty big service bulletin that you're supposed to go through on it. And we've had good luck fixing them. Just have to check. Every one's a little different. But liquid is getting returned into the compressor is what the cause of it is. And so if I bring it in, I could bring it into y'all? Yes, sir. And how much are we talking about, you know? Just depends on the extent of the damage, Kevin. If it's been running that long like that, you probably got major bucks. It's probably torn up the compressor by now. If if you can save the compressor, it's not too bad. Okay. You know, you're down in, down in the four or $500 range. If if it's torn up the compressor, you might be up $1,000, $1,200. Oh, okay. But that's, yeah, not as much as a new car. Right. 1500 is... Yeah, I'd say that'd be the max okay. on it. Yes, sir. Well, that's what I was figuring. Okay, yeah, okay. you got the kind of scared me when you said major yeah well major is a relative term i'm a poor guy <laughs> that's major to me <laughs> so if i bring in i'll just tell y'all the same thing or should i ask? yeah just tell elaine what it's doing just tell us making that noise and, da, 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 and then they'll diagnose it and make sure that's what it is or okay. you can even ride with one of the techs and show it to him okay and that's right. not something i need to bring it to the dealer to- oh absolutely no. not okay all, all right. right good deal i appreciate it all right all kevin right. thank you man right. bye-bye all right back to line with wayne good morning wayne Okay, let me tell you what's going on with my car and what I think is causing it, and you tell me if I'm nuts or not. Right. <laughs> I got a 2000 Nissan Sentra, 1.8 liters, got all the little bells and whistles, okay. about 151,000 miles. Right. It started to wear when we get in the vicinity of uh, Airline and Sherwood Forest, where we have, there used to be a state police yes, headquarters sir. there. Yes, sir, I know what you're talking about. There's still a tower, and there are several other towers in the area. Yes, sir. When it gets in that vicinity, it doesn't want to idle. It'll kill. Hmm. When, and there's a lot of stop-and-go traffic in that area. Yeah, right. it doesn't do it anywhere else? No. Hmm. It could be radio interference. It could be radio interference. That's what we think is going on. Yes, that there's a concentration of radio waves well, that are interfering with could, issues. It could very well be. Yeah, that can happen. Well, I haven't heard of it on that particular car, but that doesn't mean not. A lot of times you can actually shield the cables going into the PCM and, and fix uh-huh. that problem. Something as simple as wrapping tinfoil around the cables and then grounding the tinfoil could help with that. 
so I'm not insane. No, that can definitely happen. All right, thank you. All right, Wayne. All right. Thank okay. you. All right, we're going to try to catch one more call. John, you there? Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a, a 97 forerunner. The cigarette lighter has stopped functioning. Okay. I don't haven't found a blowing fuse. Does that have a fuse? It does have a fuse, and they are pretty bad, particularly if people use a lot of plug-ins on the cigarette lighters now, like cell phones and all that. And if that plug-in goes in there a little crooked, it kind of shorts it out and knocks those fuses out all the time. I couldn't tell you exactly where that particular fuse is, but if you get in your owner's manual, if you still have it, there is definitely a fuse for it. Okay. And you're going to have to repair that because you won't be able to get an inspection sticker, if you can believe that. Right. Wow. Because when the state goes to plug their little tool in to check your emissions, it plugs into the cigarette lighter. If it doesn't work, they'll fail you on inspection. So it's something you got to fix. Also, the lighters themselves go bad sometimes. A little socket will go bad. But the most time, it is a fuse. Okay. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.